Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host. You may recognize my voice more my mug as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, where each week we interview people that have some level of influence and fame, people from Deepak Chopra to Ariana Huffington to Matthew McConaughey to best-selling authors and business titans. And after 200 episodes that reach close to 7 million people every week, the largest leadership podcast worldwide, what we found is the most common downloaded and viewed episodes weren't the famous Hollywood celebrity or the person who survived a plane crash, although those are remarkable stories. It was people like you and I that had done extraordinary things oftentimes with their careers. In fact, the number one downloaded podcast to date from C-Suite or from On Leadership is Ursula Burns from the Xerox organization. So today I'm delighted to invite one of Ursula's colleagues previously from Xerox, Kevin Warren, who now serves as the Executive Vice President and CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of UPS, is joining us from the Northeast. Kevin, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Hello, Scott, thanks for having me. Hey, delighted you're here. Obviously you have a storied career with Xerox for 34 years through all levels of leadership. Um, more recently, in the last several years, you joined the UPS organization, which will be the focus of today's conversation. I'd like to maybe take a moment before we go into either of the companies, Kevin, and would you maybe reorient our listeners and viewers to your professional journey? What was your education like? What was your first job out of college? And what made you, what made you stay at Xerox for 34 years? Yeah, well, I'd be happy to. So, you know, my first job out of college was actually my last job in college. Uh, as I interned at Georgetown, uh, October of my senior year. Um, and I, I went to Georgetown University in Washington, DC. My degree was in finance, although I helped put myself through school by having various uh, sales jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had some kind of some natural kind of business development uh, sort of skills and had some finance training. And uh, the opportunity for internship with Xerox came up and I saw it as a great opportunity to get big company experience, was only going to stay there for a few months and then go off to Wall Street, uh, but fell in love with the company um, and started full time after I graduated and started in sales and uh, matriculated through the company with lots of different opportunities and different areas of the business and different geographies. And it was a it was a terrific run. So, Kevin, in a moment, I'm going to pivot to your role and your influence at UPS. But I, I can't help but ask you, you know, Xerox is a storied brand, right? Had some ups, had some downs, had some transition, was obviously disrupted and survived well during, you know, the technological transformation we've all been through. And, but I don't think of Xerox as like a sexy organization, right? Or a place that I might choose to stay for that long. Yet so many do. When you meet, you know, Xeroxers, it's 20, 30, 35 years. What is it in the culture in the leadership, in the mission for that matter, that makes so many people stay so long at a, at a as a, you might say, as a, not a boring brand, but you know, a brand that I'm not, you know, uh, drawn to to work there. That's, that's meant to be said in a respectful way. What is secret? What is the secret that makes organizations like Xerox attract and retain talent like yourself for three and a half decades almost? You know, it's just like most organizations, it comes down to a couple of things. One would be leadership, one would be culture, one would be talent, one would be, um, is there some compatibility 
uh, to the people in the, in the organization and the way it's run and what you like. So when I joined Xerox in, in, the, you know, in the 1980s, uh, it was a younger company. Uh, it was dynamic. It was uh, diverse from a cultural standpoint, ethnic, mm-hmm. uh, from a gender perspective. Uh, it was work hard uh, and, and play hard and, and in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some of the, the best uh, talent. Uh, some stayed with Xerox for a long time. Others left and, and ended up climbing uh, different mountains. Uh, it was a sort of company where you can make friends. I had uh, the, the godfather of my oldest uh, son. I met at Xerox. I worked for him at Xerox. My wife, I met at Xerox. So it was something magical about the people and the culture uh, and the company. Uh, that was tough to, tough to get out your system. Well, I can relate. Franklin Covey, although a much smaller brand, both in revenue and in impact, uh, our mission no less important. It's similar, right? I mean, some of my best friends are from this company. When I was married about 13 years ago, we had 100 guests at our wedding. And other than the 10 family members, like 70 of our guests were from Franklin Covey. My wife, who is about a decade younger than I, uh, couldn't understand why I would have people who I worked with at my wedding. And now, of course, 10 years later, as she's met them all, she realizes that our wedding was like a work retreat because these are friendships that we so treasured. So I can relate to that. Let's pivot to your role at UPS. You serve as the chief marketing officer of what is a household name, right? Uh, unfortunately, to my horror, your, your truck pulls up to our house probably <laughs> twice a day, usually delivering things that my very accomplished but my wife that stays at home and manages our household decides to order things. Um, there once was a time when there were two UPS trucks parked at the same time, opposite <laughs> directions coming to our house. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, you have a remarkable entry, entree into UPS because you are one of the first, I think if not maybe only the second ever person in its nearly 114-year history to come into the C-suite from outside the organization. And this isn't just a bio, you know, read from your, your wiki, wiki page. This is a, a unique accomplishment because even at Franklin Covey, we don't ever put someone in the executive team or the C-suite that hasn't been in the company for a decade because of culture and assimilation. And the last thing a public company wants to do is to, you know, remove a named executive officer. Talk about, remind everybody why that is so unique. And I'd ask you maybe to check your humility what do you think was unique about you and your perhaps emotional maturity, your intellectual maturity that, that UPS took a risk on bringing you in on the C-suite, in the C-suite from outside when they'd only done it once before in their history? So you've, uh, you've characterized the challenge you know, quite nicely. It's probably one of the biggest challenges in my business career. So yes, I was the second outside hire um, as a direct report to the CEO and the first outside hire from outside the industry. Mm. Uh, The gentleman who preceded me six months earlier uh, was hired from, uh, he used to work at DHL and worked at Walmart. So at least he had the industry expertise. I didn't have that. Um, And so it was a big challenge to come in and, you know, learn a company uh, that's in a different industry that's very complex, tremendous scale, different acronyms, different business models, very intricate as far as how uh, the, uh, the the model uh, worked and how we kind of you know delivered our packages in an integrated network. There was so much to learn, um, and that's why traditionally you know it was always a promote from within. You know, most of the executives at that time started off 
uh, driving package cars and it worked the way up. And we still have a, a, a number of uh, prominent leaders that, 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 that took that path. I think what the board of directors was looking for to complement some of this organic talent um, was uh, some, some, you know, some, some talent to come in with a different perspective. Um, they had some commercial expertise um, that maybe came from an industry that really had to have sharp elbows because you had a lot of competitors as opposed to maybe two or three that kind of acted the same way. Um, and, and also somebody who could drive change uh, inside an organization. Um, so, you know, I kind of checked those boxes and thank goodness they gave me the opportunity to kind of come in. And although, you know, managing change and integrating into this culture was a challenge, uh, I would say maybe for the first year and a half or so, uh, thankfully, uh, we've been able to kind of bring some change in and assimilate to the culture, but also uh, keep fresh eyes on things and I'm really pleased with the, the amount of change in the performance of the company that myself and other colleagues and now that we've brought in from outside the company uh, to complement again, you know, our organic talent that's really driven to drive our performance. Kevin, like you, I was the CEO, CMO of a public company, Franklin Covey. And uh, uh, probably like you, I owned a lot of responsibility, public relations and brand and web and social and business development and all the things that go along with marketing, including all the books and thought leadership that we own. Large, large assimilation of not always complementary you know, divisions of the company. And then once I went to a conference of CMOs and I heard a, a, a CMO, happened to be a lady, on stage and she said that she thought that the most important role that the CMO played was actually as the chief recruitment officer, that the CMO was really the CRO, meaning your job was to build a brand where people wanted to come and work and stay. And it really changed my perception of my role, not just as business development for a public company, but to build a brand, to help build a brand where people were proud to work there, where, they would, where we would track new talent. Uh, take what I've said and dispel it or perhaps build on it. How do you see your role as the CMO of UPS? Well, I, I guess I wear a couple of hats, but let me let me talk about brand. I mean, you mentioned brand. So me being a CMO, I have to take that that opportunity. Uh, so when I came with uh, I came to UPS and very quickly, we kind of took a look at the business um, and we said, OK, what could be some real drivers of value? Uh, and we found that there was a particular customer segment, which was the most profitable, uh, the small to medium sized customer segment. And that was the segment in which we were losing share to our key competitors. And we were more focused on our larger customers, which are really important, but not quite as profitable. So we did some voice of the customer work. That's what kind of CMOs do. And, 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 and in this case, we actually did a persona exercise where we asked some of these small and medium-sized shippers, um, if you were walking into a bar um, and you know UPS and some of our, our competitors were standing there, what would we be wearing? What would we be wearing? What would we be drinking? Um, and, you know, tell us about that. And one shipper came back and said, you know, UPS would probably be a guy. Okay. So you kind of get that brand imagery, um, standing at the bar, um, you know, drinking a scotch, probably with a comb over. <laughs> so now it's nothing wrong with that, but certainly from a brand standpoint, we knew we had some work to do to kind of update the mental model, both internally and externally, as to what type of company we were. Uh, that we were a diverse company, 
that we were a company that not only is trusted, reliable, integrity, which we have all those wonderful brand attributes, but yeah, we're agile, we're innovative. Uh, we care about diversity, equity, inclusion. We care about the communities in which we serve. Uh, we, we care about sustainability. Uh, we care about our employees. And that's been a big change driver, both internally and externally, that marketing has led and has worked you know, across the company kind of, drive, kind of drive. So we had to kind of improve, I would say add on to our strong brand to make it more relevant. That's the term I'll use, um, both outside the company and then inside the company. And so I would say, you know, of all the hats, you know, that the marketing wears, I would say a driver of change, both culturally inside the company, being able to kind of take a, a risk appetite and do some things and surprise on the upside, which really drives uh, employee uh, motivation and ownership, as well as updating uh, externally. This is a company not only with a proud past, but even brighter future. Well, and Kevin, you also have multiple customers, right? Because you've got my wife, Stephanie, who's shipping things from her eBay account or Poshmark account and receiving and <clears throat> uh, delivering, hopefully delivering more than receiving. And then you've got someone like myself who works in a company where we're shipping thousands of packages every week, right, for, for our clients as well. And I'm guessing you have, uh, you have a lot of brand ambassadors. Not to quiz you, but how many drivers are there in the UPS about? So look, we, we've got total employees about over 550,000 wow. um, employees uh, worldwide. Um, so you think about just the size and scale, $100 billion company, uh, been around for 115 years. And the last two years we've put up record earnings. So this is a company that's still kind of, is driving its momentum uh, going forward despite its scale. Um, so yeah, and, and by the way, you do make a point that you know we, we call, we have recipients, the people who actually receive the packages, and we have the shippers, both small and medium size as well as large. And we have to be relevant to all those different uh, constituents, and in addition to our employees as well. So we've got a kind of game plan to make sure that we understand the audience, uh, that we understand kind of the customer experience, uh, that we understand how these customers buy. You mentioned eBay, more and more of our small and medium sized customers are doing business on platforms. Uh, such as uh, Amazon, uh, such as Shopify, mm -hmm. such as Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, such as eBay, et cetera. So then how do we go to market and meet our customers where they are um, as opposed to just kind of selling one way? Um, so all of those are things, those are kind of the major initiatives uh, the marketing has been driving for the company. Uh, and I'm proud to say that we've been, we've had a good amount of success as translated uh, to the company's success. You know, this may be a unique experience to me. You mentioned you have uh, over a half million employees. I'm guessing there are tens of thousands of, quote, UPS drivers in America alone. Maybe there's 100,000. Um, yeah, 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 think, think bigger. Uh, think 200 and some change. Okay, so let's talk about that. There are 200,000 UPS drivers, right? The comb over, the scotch, the bar. That's not been my experience, but these are 200,000 brand ambassadors that work for your brand that have touch points every day at Franklin Covey's loading dock, at the airport, at our front door. My wife knows our UPS drivers. I'm not sure she knows our FedEx drivers. No diss on that great company. What, it, what is it that, as the CMO, what is it that you all do to make sure that these 200,000 people that are seen by tens of millions of Americans every day at stoplights and at their front door, what role do they have 
in reinforcing the brand that is UPS? So look, there's a reason why UPS is one of the top brands uh, in the world. Um, and if you look at the brand attributes, which we look at, and we break it up into three categories, consideration, momentum, um, and then ESG. And consideration is the area that says, okay, is this, a, is this a company that we trust? Is this a company that has integrity? Is this a company that has reliability? We score off the charts in that area. And why is that? Because we get a brand halo from our drivers that you mentioned. Yeah. You know, our drivers are employees, not contract labor. So I'm not hating on our competitors, but we are unique in that regard. Um, so they, they, they've got tenure, they've got experience, they have relationships uh, with your wife and others yeah. from a recipient yeah. standpoint where they know the names of the kids and yeah. the pets, yeah. um, et cetera. So that part, look, they're, they're handling their responsibility from a brand standpoint. You know, what I had to do and what the team had to do was to complement all of this goodwill we get on trust reliability of the drivers really driving to some more of the momentum, digital, innovative, agile, uh, relevant, you know, to different diverse uh, customer segments, um, whether it's uh, African-American, um, Latinx, uh, AAPI, LGBTQ, and then also from an age demographic, we had skewed uh, older versus younger. Um, and so it was really kind of a compliment. Um, we came up with a Be Unstoppable campaign that had a different look and feel and energy uh, level. And we started doing collabs um, with, uh, uh, with different more uh, modern uh, business people who are also entertainers. We showed up on TikTok and did a Latinx uh, uh, SMB uh, kind of challenge where we had 9 billion hashtag views. We dropped a clothing line in New York Fashion Week. There was a streetwear <laughs> kind of clothing line with our Be Unstoppable and had hoodies and everything that was uh, incredibly supported. So we had to do different things to complement all of this fine stuff that our UPS drivers are driving from a, uh, from a brand uh, relevant standpoint. Uh, Kevin, talk about marketing 2022. What is the role that data and data analytics play in the decisions you make? So if you look at the portfolio of all of the, the, the marketing assets at your team's disposal, and I'm guessing a multi-million dollar marketing budget aimed at a variety of different um, buyers and consumers. What role does instinct, experience, and art play as complemented from perhaps the science, the data analytics that I'm guessing you're awash in? I'm guessing there's no shortage of data at UPS. What's that interplay? Yeah, so look, so, so data, when I came here, there's no shortage of data. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, used to, I say we were swimming in data. Uh, but then, all right, taking that data and then synthesizing it uh, and analyzing and understanding what the implications are, what the trends are, uh, how that can inform better decisions, uh, what the return on invested spend is, um, and where should we kind of maybe double down and then maybe where should we kind of pull back. Um, and then really kind of show those KPIs and be able to kind of draw the connections from the spend that we're doing to the actual impact on the company's uh, shareholder returns. When I first came here, you know, there was a notion that marketing was a discretionary spend, that we would spend only when we could afford to. 
Um, and it really wasn't a view that this was really a, a driver for shareholder returns. So we had to be very critical to look at the inventory. We took a look at the inventory and we said, okay, what are the sort of things that are driving returns? And I'm not just talking about financial returns, although that was a big driver, but even kind of the brand relevance needle movers. And we did our own surgery and then doubled down um, and then showed the performance um, to the company. Um, and then that got the company excited to say, okay, hey, we're going to invest in digital. We're going to invest in modernizing the website. We're going to invest in scaling this digital access program in which we're integrating our APIs with these platform partners and taking it from $130 million business uh, in 2019 to be a $2 billion business this year. Um, that we're going to invest in and in doing things to make the, 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 the brand more relevant. So without the data and being able to kind of make the connections on returns, um, then you don't get the money. Uh, but when you show that you can deliver and make the connection, then all of a sudden they start asking, well, if I gave you more, how much faster could yeah. you go? Yeah. Uh, so we really had to kind of make that pivot. Now, the art and the science and design, all of that is important. But you really got to look at it from a business standpoint when you start talking to business people. Kevin, here's a broad question for you. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. Where do you see the future of the shipping business, if you will? Is it, is it you know, in fierce competition with FedEx? Is it in collaboration with the post office? Is it aimed at the small mom and pop entrepreneur who's still shipping products out across the world? Is it the billion or so eBay users? I mean, is there a niche or an interest that UPS thinks they could dominate or provide superior value and service to that you think is, is it you know, electric fleet vehicles? Is it drones delivering packages? What should we look for in terms of where we see UPS being a dominant player? So it's all those things that you mentioned. You know, we'll have traditional competitors. You mentioned one, um, you know, that, that they bring a lot to the table. We have to continue to be sure. the most reliable service provider in the industry, which we are, and not, don't take my word for it, you know, take the third parties to kind of report out on it, particularly during the holiday peak season. Right, we've heard. Uh, so we need to continue, I mean, we service, we got to hang our hat on service. Um, but we also, in addition to this terrific network that we have, this integrated, and when I say integrated, I'm really talking about air and ground kind of integrated together. Um, in addition to the over 5,000 UPS stores that we have, uh, adding our digital game to that as well. So having you know the best website where it's frictionless, it's easy for people to come on our website and be able to do business. And maybe even from a pricing and shipping uh, having a self-service experience is easy um, and, and, and easy for somebody to kind of ship and understand what the cost is going to be and they go do it. Um, so we're, we're spending a lot of time on having the best customer experience in the end to compete on that. We're spending a lot of our energy on making sure we have the best digital experience to complement our uh, integrated network. Uh, we're, we're talking about, okay, how does the customer want to buy, not how do we want to sell? So large customers, they need probably more sophisticated sales executive with solution support that can really kind of uh, collaborate with them as to what's the best way uh, to be able to, you know, to, to, to negotiate um, and have the shipping uh, done closest to the customer so they can drive you know, on-time performance in the most economical way. And then the smaller customers, more and more of them are going digital. So how do we end up working with our partners to kind of serve them? And then globally. You know, making sure we have the best cross-border, uh, best international footprint. 
And then finally, hey, our head has to be on a swivel as far as uh, I would call it, you know, maybe wannabe disruptors who might have started in this business. A lot of them are digital natives. Um, and while they aren't competitors with us right now, uh, their ambitions, um, and I've seen it in a lot of other industries, they start out kind of small and, and the incumbents will, uh, you know, will, will not respect them. And the next thing you know, they get big and become a, a, a big competitor. So we have, to, we have to really kind of focus on all those things uh, while we execute as well. Kevin, you've had a 40 plus year career. Let's get personal. If you were giving a speech to say incoming associates at, at UPS, or for that matter, Xerox or Delta or you know, Exxon, you name the company. If you were giving a speech on how to have a great career, how to make it to the C-suite, assuming that was someone's goal, uh, check your humility. What's the one or perhaps two things you think you've done that's accelerated your credibility into the C-suite? It might have been something early in life. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. What are the one or two things that, you, two things that you've done that could be replicable for others if their journey was to the C-suite? And so, Scott, I have, a, I have a framework. It's called the success triangle. So I'll give you three things and then, you know, one piece of general advice. Uh, and I'll, I'll make it quick. So... Think of success as a triangle. The first point in the triangle um, is really about delivering outstanding performance. Um, and when I say outstanding performance, I'm talking about consistently. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough that whatever role I've had, and some of them have been tough kind of turnaround roles, uh, to make sure that you kind of deliver the results where that really kind of gets people's attention. So that's number one. Now, a lot of people think that if you do that, then that's all that's required. And I call that more of a kind of a minimum qualifier. You can't move forward if you don't do that. But just because you hit that doesn't mean your work is done. So the second point in the triangle is really about, you know, your, uh, your behaviors, I would say. Um, and what do I mean by that? Um, you know, if you're working, you know, with customers or you're working um, in a company or organization, these are social institutions. So how do you get along with your colleagues? Uh, how do you take feedback? Uh, how do you give credit, not take credit? Uh, are you the type of person that once you're interacted with, you're giving more energy versus taking energy? Um, can you be trusted? Are you reliable? Okay, so those behavior sort of things. Is this somebody that I could see actually doing business with? I want to have a, a beer or a glass of wine with, right? And then the third area um, is really what I, I'll call always improving your skill sets or your competencies. So having this, you, you've never arrived um, from a knowledge and a skill set and an experience standpoint. So it's, it's, this, it's this thirst, the always adding something to your game so that the 2022 version of Kevin Warren um, is going to have more skills than the 2021 and 2020. So this is, a, this is a, a race with no finish line. So delivering performance, you know, collaboration, you know, uh, being a good colleague, um, and then making sure that you're continuing to add to your skill set. That's been a framework. Uh, this worked well for me. And then finally, as a wrapper around that, um, I would say be bold, take chances, bet on yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to do that. If I was being critical, I would say I should probably even bet more um, because it's going to be okay. Uh, the upside is a lot greater when you go outside your comfort zone. That's really kind of where you grow. Um, any risk, um, you'll mitigate them or it might be a temporary setback that that sets you up to go even further. So that would be my, my two cents there. 
That was a great masterclass in leadership. Thank you for the three plus one points. Uh, Kevin, get vulnerable. Uh, I want you to think of, of, a, of a skill, a marketing skill, that in hindsight, you should have accelerated. Perhaps you didn't learn salesforce.com or you didn't learn you know, uh, Google Analytics fast enough. Or uh, Is there something that as you look at your career, you've either, maybe you've caught up, maybe you're still catching up. Is there, is there a trend? Is there an accelerator? Is there a technology that perhaps you should have been a little more bold at learning and perfecting so that you could be leading out, not maybe catching up? So, so I would say in our industry, what's driving the growth in our industry is e-commerce. That's where 90% of the volume growth in our industry is going to be. And that's all digital. Um, and so, you know, we're on a, we're on a big, um, we've got a big focus on improving our digital fluency. Um, and that's the area I've leaned in on. Um, but if I'm critical of myself, I should be even better. And so I'm really trying to kind of accelerate, you know, my digital knowledge, my digital fluency. Yeah, I'm not a digital native. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of gave the history of my career. Yeah. Um, so I've got a lot of catch up uh, to do because the CMOs of some of these wannabe disruptors, yeah. you know, they might be a little bit ahead of me. So yeah. that's one I've got the foot on the accelerator, really try to catch up to make sure I'm role modeling um, as far as understanding uh, e-commerce, uh, the digital business model, et cetera. Kevin, to the extent you can create a, a red thread or a commonality where you've seen careers go sideways, you've seen high potential, you know, extraordinary talent, intellect, and the person has imploded or they were invited to leave or they, weren't, they were passed over for a job. Is there any uh, commonality in careers that have gone south that you would say, hey, everybody, watch out, avoid this, because this is a trap. Anything you'd say that you've learned that's um, a watch out? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to the triangle. So it's not the first part, it's not the performance. Yeah. You know, that, that normally kind of takes care of itself. Um, the people who are on the track record, who have a track record to be successful, normally can nail the performance. They normally will focus on improving their skills. It's that second part, as far as the behaviors, and maybe being kind of overly arrogant or kind of taking credit versus giving credit, uh, or maybe trying to kind of cut corners from an ethics standpoint, um, or not taking feedback the right way, um, or you know certainly not collaborating, or trying to do win-lose versus win-win. A lot of times the, the people are so focused on that results that they get derailed on that second part, and it totally, un, un, it, it totally um, will you know, will dilute any of the success you have in other areas. Those are the, those that's normally the cultural things that kind of get you. It's normally the behavior things that kind of get you. And particularly when we see executives we're trying to bring into new companies, you know, that real cultural fit, you know, that arrogance, are they taking, are they coming in with humility? Are they coming in with transparency? Um, are they, you know, seeking first to understand? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those those are the attributes normally, you know, people do well, you know, we see them do well, but the derailers, they normally fail in that category. Clearly you've read the seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, thank you for the shout out. Uh, hey, last question about your leadership style. Clearly you've done a lot of things right. There's no question it's implicit in your career and as you being one of only two you know, uh, 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 parachuters into the C-suite in the storied 100 and nearly 14 year history at UPS. Um, 
what's an area you're working on, on your own leadership style? If someone were working to, for you and they were critiquing you, say, you know what, I wish Kevin was better at this. In terms of your leadership style, what's an area of growth for you? Something you're working on improving. You know, a lot of times you're, you're one of your biggest assets, you know, if, if done too much could be a liability. That's right. That's right. So I've got, I've got very high expectations. Um, and I can be uh, kind of quick. Um, so, you know, I have to really make sure um, that I use my, my superpowers for good, not evil. Yeah. Um, and you that process the high fast, you can be perhaps reactive, you have a high standard, those types of things. Yes, yes, yes. So I have to watch that um, and use the high expectations, make sure this coaching um, and counseling and a little bit of empathy that kind of goes with that. Yeah. Uh, to, to drive those high expectations to get the best results, um, particularly during distress moments. That's something that I keep an eye on uh, to make sure yeah. um, that I kind of get right. How has the pandemic changed you? Well, you know, I, I, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a people person. I love, I'm a connector. Um, I love being out um, with our talent and with our partners and our customers. So it's been tough you know, being on Zoom calls and going in the office for the last couple of years. So I've had to kind of pivot on how I can make an impact, how I can communicate in a different way. Um, but it's also made me hungrier uh, to, as we, as we transition hopefully from the pandemic to the, uh, to the endemic and learn to live with, with COVID uh, to get, kind of get back out there um, and, and leverage uh, the, the ability to be able to interact as well. Now on the positive side, um, you know, having a wonderful relationship with my wife and, and not being on the road as much. I've enjoyed that time, um, but, uh, but definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, to better days ahead. Oh, she called. She wants you on the road. <laughs> we spoke earlier. <laughs> Kevin Warren, Executive Vice President and CMO of UPS, a storied career. Thank you for coming on today and giving us a bit of masterclass in leadership. You're a class act, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you back next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.